I'm with Justin Fatika. He is head of and founder of Hard as Nails Ministry. Tell us, um, you're just telling me you added a bus. Now you have two buses. Yeah. Yeah, the bus isn't finished, but we're working on a second bus. So eventually we can take a choir and a team of uh, missionaries because we don't have enough missionaries for support. We need more missionaries to help us out. How many missionaries do you have right now? We have 14 missionaries. And you go out how many weeks a year? Uh, we're probably on the road anywhere from 75 to 125 days a year on the road. And you you have a house, you all live in community formation up in Syracuse? Yeah, we have a Guardians of the Eucharist uh, training mission center where they're formed out of, where, and the boys live there. And then we have a chapel that the bishop gives permission to have the Eucharist, which is great for uh, a pasha run by, by a layman. And we also have host homes for the women. And then we have a headquarters, which is our office that right now is a convent, but it's actually too small, so we're praying that God will give us help to get a headquarters. And describe, uh, when you go out on mission, can you describe like a mission event and the message? And, and we were talking about, too, the role of music. That's real important. Yeah. Yeah, so people are, it's an experience. People ask like, oh, man, I, you know, I've seen a clip on- online. Well, I was telling like, the clip online isn't going to do justice. People are super impacted when they watch uh, our online message and they can see it on YouTube or they can see it on our TV show, You're Amazing on EWTN. But when you come to an event, it's basically, we call it invitation ministry. So we're inviting people to say, have you dealt with the death of your father? If you haven't, Jesus wants to help you. So it's more like a, a, a Socratic method where you're asking them questions and then they're engaging. And then where the music comes in is, is so that they can know that, that, as you know, in education, you, the event is all of the multiple intelligences. So some people who feel comfortable are getting a hug or a high five or encouragement. Um, some are getting it through our video screens, which we have a 25-foot blow-up screen as well. So they'll really be able to engage through all of their senses. And, and then the ending is the best part where we get, we've had thousands upon thousands, accept Jesus Christ into their heart, and then we give out a free Bible to everybody we meet. So we handed out already over 30,000 this year, so it's exciting. And then you give a talk, right? Yeah. What do you, what's the content of that talk? What are you trying to tell them? Each year we pray about a theme for the year of what our folks will be like. This year is all heart, all in, off of the Bible verse, Matthew 22, 37, 39. You know, that, you know, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. This is the first and the greatest commandment. This thing is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole point of that particular talk, that message is, how many of us want to go to heaven? There is a hell. There is a heaven. And if you want to go there, the way you go there is accepting Christ in your life. But once you accept him, then you need to love as he loved. You need to love God's kids. I don't think God would want anybody in his heaven that doesn't love his kids and is repentant of how they hurt his kids. And so that, that's the gist of the gospel preaching that we have. And the key is, is getting them to say, I want to lay it all down to the cross. I preach the cross, Christ crucified. You know, where a lot of people are preaching the resurrection, the abundant life. I believe the abundant life, a true abundant life, is who can deal with their suffering the best. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the abundant life is. The abundant life isn't like, hey, everything's great. Because anybody who says it's great every day, I think they're lying. <laughs> 
So the abundant life comes from the cross. Yes. Yeah, only through the cross. It's only saying, wow, I take all of my weaknesses, all my burdens, all of my loneliness, and say, Jesus, I give it to you. And then he raises your heart to new life. But the true abundant life, and this is the challenge in America, especially Africa gets us, India, you've traveled a lot, Father, you understand. We're not going to get the true abundant life on earth. And anybody who's preaching that, it's heresy. The true abundant life is what we're going after, which is heaven. Our country, America, doesn't want to focus on heaven. They want to focus on, oh, you live for Jesus, do one, two, three, and then you're going to be okay. It doesn't work like that. Heaven is the true abundant life, but you can get it in your heart. You can get it, and you can get it through, through the Eucharist. You can get it through confession and have those moments. But when they're not lasting, you need to repent, re-energize yourself, go to Christ, pray, go to the cross. Now, Father Peter John Cameron preached this morning, and he opened up with a quote from you. What was that quote? Can you, do you remember what, how he said oh, that? Oh, my goodness. I can't. This guy's like the Harlem Globetrotters with the Bible, as you <laughs> said earlier. I, I can't remember. He, he basically said that, you know, we'll learn to love. I said something in the source. We'll learn to love when um, we deal with our rejection. You know, we'll, we'll be able to love others when we know our rejection is a gift. And it's, we draw others, right? When people see that vulnerability, woundedness, rejection in us, it yes. has a way of opening others up. For sure, yep, I, yep. And yeah, that's what you see. I told you, Father, I don't, you know, I, I try to, when people are quoting me, to forget they <laughs> quoted me. <laughs> but really, the Holy Spirit probably spoke through me, and it's when people see that we've been rejected as what makes Christ so appealing to yeah. society, what... What makes Christ so, uh, us to be so vulnerable with him? It's the same thing that will make people vulnerable with us when we show our vulnerability, when we show our rejection, when we show maybe our dad wasn't there for us, and then all of a sudden someone's like, well, your dad, me too. You know, it's that whole me too generation. Well, me too, Jesus generation. Yeah, yeah. So that, I've heard, I just heard, Dr. Ted Shree said something like that. He was saying when we can bring our weaknesses, failures, vulnerabilities, that's when we can have the encounter with Jesus, sort of get real with Jesus, right? And I, from I've seen, like, on the show on EWTN that has, uh, what's the name of that show? You were? You're Amazing is our show, yeah. Yeah, and you, you have this great ability just to, you don't run away from people's emotion or pain, and you just go and sit with them in it, and they can kind of bring it out and accept it. Or get, Talk about that process, what you do on these missions. Well, I think it's like uh, my daughter's a great example. It's like when I'm around my daughter, for whatever reason, I'm like, man, like if God loves me even a little bit more than my daughter, I want to meet that God. Mm. I think the same thing happens at our events. When you sit with somebody and cry at them because their dad died, but your dad didn't die yet, or your dad died 40 years ago and you're over it, whatever. They know you're over it, They know, or they know that he hasn't died yet. But when you're empathetic to that, like they want to talk to you. They want to have this moment. And our hope at our events is they go, look, 
If Jesus is anything like that person that cried with me, I want to know who Jesus Christ is. And then we're able, which is the great gift as our ministry, thanks to people who have donated and our benefactors, we're able to give them so many tools. Like, we don't, our events don't end. Like, most preachers, they go out and say, like, oh, see you later. <laughs> Sign our hasta la vista, baby. See you in heaven. And yeah, do we have all the tools? But we have an eight-step program. We'll have over 100 kids this year get on the phone with one of our missionaries, 18 to 25, and do a faith formation on the phone with them. So they'll write down, oh, you want, would you like to have follow-up when they're sharing my dad died or sharing my dad left or sharing I've been abused or sharing that I, I just got picked on a little bit. And then they, they start back up with them. Hey, let's talk about when you got picked on. You know, hey, we want to give you something that can help us. And we have like an eight-step process that they go through. And it leads them back to their parish. So we don't just keep them there. We want to yeah. give them tools to help them through it. And what are some of, those, some of those steps of the eight steps? So it's through my book, Win It All, the you know, eight steps to, you know, it's a way to heaven for Catholic teens. And, and basically the first step is recognize your importance. And how are you going to recognize your importance? You got to find somebody that sees greatness in you. So the first step is we challenge them to write a letter to somebody who has a Catholic faith that you look up to. That's the follow-up. If you got a letter from your nephew, right, Father Mark, and said, oh, I went to this event, Hard as Nails. It was, a, you're it was an amazing experience. Right? And I, I met this Justifica and these missionaries. And Man, they told me to write a letter, but you inspired me in the faith. Are you going to call your nephew? Yeah. Of course you are. <laughs> well, that's our goal, uh -huh. to get them to write that letter. Okay. So then there's the fob. So that's yeah. step one. Okay. Now, step three is make your mess your message. Mm -hmm. That's where we challenge them to go to confession. And then step four is that they come back and share about their confession experience. And then we help them to find their passion, which is step five. Step eight, though, is the glue. Oh, sorry. So you're sharing that, that the mess. You go to confession, come back, you, you share it with that person that you've contacted about wanting to help grow, with your, grow you in your faith? Yeah. So make your, make your message means this. Make your mess your message. It means that, yeah, you made a mistake. Yeah, you screwed up. But guess what? You can take your challenge, and God saved you through reconciliation. And now you can be thankful and share it with the world, like all the people that Jesus said, don't share that. And then they shared it with everybody. Right. <laughs> the messianic secret right. has come to life. Right. Okay, and then the other steps? So one of my favorite steps is the last one, which is uh, live every day as if it was your last, the eighth step. And that's where we challenge them to go to daily mass once a month for the rest of their life. Now, we don't get all 100, you know, to come in. They're kind of like, they say it, but don't do it, you know? We're not going to say all 100 are going to daily mass because we'd be lying. But I'll tell you what, 10 to 30 every year, commit to go to daily mass once a week for the rest of their life. And do you, like, these are, like, young people. Um, do you have to help them, like, with prudence about sharing maybe their personal struggles and stuff? For sure. So we have a screening process. So... Like, at our events specifically, uh, as well as when they do this faith formation, like, you know, they'll talk to them, hey, if you haven't been healed from this, you shouldn't be talking to anybody. So if they haven't gotten the proper counseling, if it's an extreme issue, and we have a list of what those extreme issues are. And at the events, we screen them, and to be honest, which is sad to say, but it's the truth, usually 50% of them we can't let them share. 
You know, when I was younger, I didn't know I had a gift. You know, when you're younger, you know that when you're younger, bringing the gospel, you're like, you know, probably like Francis, you know, he didn't know all of the gifts God gave him. And like, I didn't understand that people were going to share these things. So I'm just asking a question. What's Jesus? What's the greatest challenge you've been through? And what's Jesus? And then they start sharing everything. And I was like, I didn't know people were going through all this. I had no clue because I was a self-focused country club kid. You know, like Francis, who gave his life to Jesus and was radical for Jesus Christ. I'm like, we got to do something about this. And it's really evolved where now we have the structures that, you know, through a lot of people challenging me, through a lot of people, uh, you know, helping me to understand whether a bishop or a priest or a friend, you know, saying, look, you know, you've got to, you know, dive deeper into this. And so we have a great screening process now that's exceptional. What do you tell, like, on, like, pornography, an epidemic, really, across the Western world? For sure. Yeah, how do you, what do you tell young people to help them to, to get off of it if they're, if they're hooked? Oh, man, it's, I think it's a simple blitz, but a hard, complicated process. The rosary and working out. Now, I'm not saying it's like a ma- magic trick here. You do the road, you know, so I'm not saying that. But what I've come to see is when you can discipline your body and your mind as working out, there's something like that disciplines you in that impurity. And then in the other way, Our Lady, a commitment to the rosary in that discipline. Our Lady just, I believe she just... By you doing that rosary in that day, you've had presence with the Mother of God. How are you going to look at a woman? Like, if you prayed that rosary, how are you going to look at a woman go, oh, I'm going to be a sicko now and look at them? And So praying the rosary and, and working out are the two things that I really train people in that I think really helps them. Even just taking a walk, even just, you know, simple stuff. So, But also what we do is, and, and people don't like this, but I'm just being authentic. What Jesus did to the woman at the well <laughs> wasn't a screened process. <laughs> he had a crowd. He's basically telling her, hey, in, in a Jesus way, hey, this is a whore. <laughs> you know, this, right? that's what he was doing. Hey, everybody, we all know it. There she is. And there's a whole crowd there. But when we do it with respect, and dignity, and gentleness, and tenderness, and a passionate heart. We, we've had that happen at our events, where kids, we say, how many of you have dealt with an addiction to pornography and needed to fight through it? Raise your hand. Then the kid comes to the front. We don't do it every event. All of a sudden, that kid goes, man, I don't, that's not me. This doesn't feel right. I go, why doesn't it feel right? doesn't feel right because there's something in your heart saying, I'm more to this. God loves me more to this. And so when you give them that moment, they say, I don't want to do this anymore. And we do this more with the all-boys schools than anything because it's the right environment to do it. But I'll tell you what, them admitting they've done wrong in pornography and having a call to Jesus helps. And the call to, you just mentioned it, a theme that we're more than this. You're, you're great at saying, like, you're amazing and encouraging people, yeah. building them up. Um, talk about that. How do you communicate that, and what is, what is your message about people are amazing? God the Father sent his Son to this earth to show us how amazing we are. It's John 3, 16, 27 words that basically share all of the Holy Scriptures in 27 words. That's the your amazing message. I'm not amazing 
just because I'm a child of God. I'm amazing because what's been done for me by God the Father who sent his son to die. What makes me amazing is something outside myself, Jesus Christ, who died. I need to accept him. And he didn't die for a loser. He didn't die for someone who's a nothing and should be shameful and guilty. He wants you to take that guilt and shame, lay it at the cross, and find out how amazing you are. Second piece of that is this. I go to jail sometimes as well as I, I, I go to youth events, family events, but all events I always say, when I go to the jails and I go, you're amazing to that guy in the jail, you know what they do? Have them put their heads down. Because somebody told them what made that amazing is what they did. Our country, oh, you're the CEO of Exxon. You're amazing. You're Trump's guy. Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's not why he's amazing. Get over yourself. You're amazing because Jesus died for you. So what do I do? I go, I go, you think you're a loser, don't you? And half of them will shake their head. And all of a sudden, I'll go, that's a lie. And I go, I bet you're wondering how I know that. And they'll shake their heads. You want to know? Raise your hand. If you want to know why you're amazing. And they raise their hands. And I go, because I meet your kids. At those events, you know what they say? I miss my dad. What makes us amazing is our identities as sons and daughters of the Most High King. What makes us amazing is us as a father who God created us to have a purpose, to have a relationship with him so we can be a great father. And every time these people in the jail, I say that, it clicks. Like, I do have purpose I have heard one person say, oh, I wish you weren't in jail. I want you in my... What makes this amazing is the relationship we have. And once we can know that that relationship has a price that was paid for us, yeah. those, those people can know that Jesus paid the price, so you know you're amazing in that relationship, then we can get our other relationships in check. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of, I don't know, the Gospel of Life by John Paul. He, he talked about the origin, our origin and our destiny is what speaks of our great human dignity, that we made the image likeness God, come from God, and we're destined to him through the cross by Jesus' salvation, that we're, we're destined for that eternal life. So, and the prisoners respond. Oh, the they love, I, I, you know what I'm saying, you're amazing, I always go, you better look at me when I'm talking. Good, th good thing the cops are around. Or I'd, be, I'd be in big trouble. They, who knows what guy, I've been to maximum securities, and I've been to, but they respond, but guess what? That's why youth respond. People always ask, is this a youth ministry? No, this is a message for the world, for all people. The cross is for all people. But why do youth, why do prisoners respond? Why do the homeless respond? Why? Because they're the Beatitudes. They're poor in spirit. They can admit. They don't get this box, well, but I'm the executive director of Heart as Nails. You know, yeah. Well, I've written five books. Here I am, just a fatigue, right? You know what I mean? Oh, I have an EW down series. Like, that's all a bunch of plastic masks, you know what I mean? Like, for the brokenness of humanity that I am and in the need of Jesus Christ, a kid can't cling to those things. Because he doesn't have that. And youth love our message because it's real. Now, our mission is for youth, through our missionary program, our youth to awaken the adults to the power of God's love. Like when a kid gets up there and says, I'm going to forgive my dad. He abused me. What are you going to do? If your dad didn't abuse you, abused you, and you're that adult, are you going to look at that kid and go, they're an idiot? Are you going to look at that kid and go, 
Man, I haven't forgiven my daddy. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble here. That youth is, like, far more wise than me, you know? Yeah. So these youth, as you know, working with youth across, you know, which I love your work, uh, you know, when you go and do World Youth Day, and, like, you know, in that work, that just livens you up so much and why you love to do that so much. Uh, love to hang out with you over there one day. You know, that'd be fun. Are but going to Panama? No, I haven't made a dream. You know, I'd love to go one yeah. day. I just haven't had it. hasn't worked with my structure because it's so busy, but I'd love to yeah. do it sometime. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking of, too? Uh, you have the Bible with you. I yeah. know you love the scriptures. I'm thinking about the prodigal son. Yes. That must be your bread and butter, one of your meditations, is it? Oh, I love the prodigal son. Tell me about that. For me, the prodigal son is, is the key, and I think, I think it's the key, especially on both ends for me. You know, we're in a church that judges each other on one end, before I get to the, you know, the part that everybody likes to talk about. We're in a church that says, look at that young person living their faith. They're not going to last. Right. Or we're a church that says, oh, I don't know if that person's sincere. What's that all about? I think we need to get in relationship with one another. I think we need to, and this is something I really strive to do. I meet a lot of people here at EWTN now that I've been involved in the network for the past, you know, two and a half years, you know, structurally. And when I meet people, I say, hey, come visit me anytime. I think we need to have in the church in a visiting mentality, a coming not just like with, with those who haven't met Christ, but those who have met Christ. And you do that. You've been doing that with your work, which has been great. And we, we met each other, and you accompanied me, and, like, we've had some fun over the years. So that's, that's one thing. I think we need to stop being the older son and be the prodigal son. Now, I love the prodigal son for this reason. Not what the father did for the son. The interesting part I like to focus on is what the son can do for the father. In my life, right, I came to Jesus. My dad's like, is this a phase? He was a cafeteria Catholic, doesn't go to church, he goes to St. Mattress. He's like a deist, okay? He used to be like an atheist, an agnostic, now he's a deist. We're halfway there, right? <laughs> Hopefully, right? And so, so anyway, so my daddy, so now that I've been living this as long as he has, I've really been taking chances, you know, just to love on him and encourage him. When I was younger, I used to judge him. When I was younger, I was more like the, fa you know, the older son. I was more like the older son. But now I decide as a young person with my dad to fight for his heart. So my grandmother's 98, and my grandma's 98, and I went to her, and she says, why am I on this, you know, earth? Why is God keeping me here? She's a Sicilian, 100%. And so she's like, this is dumb. If I was God, I'd have been done 30 years ago. So I go, I go, Graham, I know why you're here. She says, why am I here? And I go, I'm nervous to tell her, because you never know if she's going to rag you, or, you know, like she's going to give you the wooden spoon, or who knows, right? And so I'm like, um, well, she, well, why do you think I'm here? I go, well, um, when, when my dad was 12 years old, he needed your heart, but you didn't give it to him. And you're on this earth because you're going to give him his heart and you're going to help him to heaven because you love God and you pray, Rosary Graham, and you've lived the faith. Fast forward three years later, at dinner with my dad, Christmas dinner. I go, how are you and Graham doing? remembering the conversation I had three years ago. He had no clue. He goes, what do you say? It's great. He never says, it's great. He always says, oh, it's good, but uh, you, you know Graham. <laughs> I go, so I go, I go, Dad, I go, um, he goes, why do you ask? I go, well, three years ago, what'd you tell her? 
three years ago I told her that when you were 12 you needed her heart and she was on this earth because she was going to give it to you and that's why God hasn't taken her out. He starts bawling. I go, Dad, did she do it? And he couldn't even say it. He shakes his head with tears in his eyes. Why does that have to do? It, it's the key for the young person, me being that young person in this moment, to take the chance, take the risk, and say, Grandma, come on. When that prodigal son, right, came to his father, we don't know this, but what was happening to the father in the transformation? Where did the son learn to be that way? We all, we all think he learned to be that way because he's an idiot. Maybe he learned to be that way from the dad. And maybe the dad was having a conversion like my grandmother was in that moment. And now my dad knows the love. And now we don't know what happened to the older son. But maybe that older son watched the dad humble himself. My dad did this. He was mad. We don't know. Who knows? But hopefully that guy had a conversion got to heaven. Hopefully we can have a conversion and enter it. So I love the prodigal son story. And we meet the real, you know, the prodigal sons are usually looking to hear. We meet that all over the road where people have conversions like I did and transform their life. And it's beautiful. Let me ask you, too. The line the father tells the son, the older son, you know, that all that is, you know, you're with me always, all that I have is yeah. yours. Yeah. What does that mean? I look at it this way. Our lady has the full capacity of love from the father and from Jesus, right? If we read our liturgy hours, it speaks that Others are a special possession who really have received more love. Like, so you could have more, God could have more love for you than for me. No partiality. He loves us all like Our Lady, fully and totally. I think what that's saying is, let's open up our hearts to get all the love. When somebody says, I don't have time to pray, it's like, no, 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 we got to pray. We need more love. When somebody says, I don't have time for my son. No, we need more love. I think what that's saying is God has this love for us like he has for Our Lady, for the saints, his love. And what makes a saint different than me and you is they've received more love. So I think what the Father was saying and what Jesus was speaking to is that parable is my Father has all this love for you. Why are you running from it? Bring your sin. Bring it. No sin's going to scare God. His love's more powerful. I know you're afraid because you don't want to be beaten this week or don't want to go on the streets or be hurt or be picked on in school or picked on in your office. I believe it has all this love that, that the Father has for us, and it's all there. And let's get it like Our Lady did. Tell me, how do you pray with the Scriptures? What do you, do you like, you try to read the Bible every day, or yeah, how do you do it? Oh, every day. I, I send out actually on my Twitter, I give my Bible verse that I listen to every day. I didn't start doing that to recently because the missionaries are like, they're all these social media buffs, and they're like, why don't you give them the scripture? You get one every day, you know, <laughs> every day. Well, you know, I love the Bible. Next to the Eucharist and confession for me personally, it's number three where it's the one thing that's kept me strong. 
I, of course, do liturgy hours as much as I can, uh, but I, I spend an hour of prayer each day, as Jose, Jose Maria Escriva said, whether it's 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, or it's usually, I, if I don't get it in the morning, I usually get it in the morning for an hour, right, before my kids get up and my family gets up, um, and I listen. I say, Lord, what do you want to speak to me? And I wait. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait. And when I hear, pick up the Bible, I have to hear it. Some days you, you, you don't hear it, and I get it after. Or some days you do hear it. Some days it's literally. And I open my Bible, and like, you know, today, I got my verse today, which is, you know, uh, we, this is what you felt directed to. This yeah, morning. this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 to 16. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, cheer the faint-hearted, support the weak, be patient with all. See that no one returns evil for evil. Rather, always seek what is good for each other and for all. Rejoice always. I get it. I put it in the notes of my phone and I listen. Okay, why are you speaking to me there? And then I listen. Lord, what do you want next? What do you want next? If I hear nothing, I hear nothing. If I hear something, it's about listening. I believe the Word of God is about listening for God to urge you to go to the Word of God. That's how I do it. You know, I, I need lots more ways to do it. And having Father Peter John Cameron, who's going to be coming to us full time, I'm sure he's going to help me to find a hundred other ways to do it. But, uh, you know, I know that it's super. So that's the way I do it. And... Uh, it helps. And let me ask you, like working with the young people too, um, you know, less, less people are getting married. Um, a lot of young people still want to get married. They're having a difficult time, I guess, finding spouses and things. What's your advice? Maybe tell me about the beauty, the greatness of marriage. Oh, yeah. And what advice do you give young people about marriage? Oh, man, I mean, this is a loaded question here. Because if, uh, if you meet my wife, you'll be like, it's like when people say, Father Peter John Cameron's the Magnificat's coming to work full time with hard as nails. They're like, what's that? Well, it would be even more that with my wife because she is an exceptional woman. I, I think it's like once we believe that we're amazing because of Christ, then we're not afraid of that commitment. If everyone knew they were amazing, like me, when I was younger, even when I had my conversion, it was God kind of, it's a process to show you how much he loves you, right? So I got to the point where I'm like, man, this girl's great. I'm, I'm, she's out of my league. She's more pure-hearted, more kind. I'm, you know, in my humanity, I'm like, I'm a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I'm like, there's probably some other woman out there for me. And I actually, I actually broke up with her when we were dating. And uh, I went on a one-on-one -on -one with a girl. I've only kissed one girl since I was 17. It's uh, my wife, Mary Elizabeth Fatika. And I uh, end up going, and we're dating, and I break up with her, and I go on this other kind. It wasn't a date. We were just hanging out one-on-one. -on -one. And this girl did some things, like, on that hangout that I was like, Mary would have never done that. And with the craziness of society it has to do is we think we don't deserve to be committed to. It's not they're jerks or they're horrible people and look what they're doing. And they're, it's because they don't believe they're amazing. They don't believe that they are worth it. And I didn't believe I was worth this precious gift who has a great family. And all. 
So after that girl on the date, I was like, oh, my God, Mary would have never done. So I go back on campus senior year. It's March, the beginning of March, just like now. And I go, oh. um, I go up to her and said, I was wrong. I should have never broke up to you. And she says, okay, you lost your chance. Don't talk to me. Don't email me. Don't see me. See, she knew she was amazing. So at that moment, I was like, yeah, I don't deserve this. And I cried day in and day out. I call up Father Larry Richards, who's my spiritual father, who's my teacher. I go, Father, I'm dying. I'm crying every day. I'm dying here. This woman of my dreams, he goes, what? She's breaking your heart. And I go, yeah. He, start, he starts laughing hysterically. <laughs> I'm like, what are you laughing at, you jerk face? He goes, yeah, he goes, he starts laughing at me. I go, why are you laughing? He goes, son. Now you'll be able to preach the gospel. It's the only way you can preach the gospel, son, is when you have a broken heart. I don't know whether you're supposed to marry her, but this is good for you. All right, I got things to do. See you around. <laughs> so I, 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 I didn't talk to her. I didn't email her. I didn't see her. I was dying inside. And all of a sudden, she ends up going to senior ball. This is high school? Or College. Okay. She goes to the senior ball with my roommate. You want to talk about stinging? You want to talk about who? How amazing is this girl that she can pull this off and still have me think she's the greatest? Is she Irish? Yes, <laughs> stinging me, man, stinging. Me. So I'm like, I'm gonna take this, you know, cute Italian chick to the ball. Then I was like, uh, I'll never get her if I do that. <laughs> so I didn't do that. So then I'm like, uh, what's the only thing that's gonna help me through this? So I take a homeless guy out to eat that, and I didn't take him to the ball. I took him out to eat. He made me feel a lot better. You know, <laughs> true story. I took a picture with him. I still have it to this day. And so anyways, uh, she comes up to me about three weeks after that bond. She says, hey, you've been really good about this. I just want you to know. You see, people don't think they deserve the best. But God believes you deserve the best because you're his kid. And I don't know why she was open to come up to me and say, you could sit by me at graduation. She didn't say she'd date me. I thought that's what it meant. <laughs> I took it literally. <laughs> so we sat by each other, and she says, you're putting pressure after it's over. I feel pressured. Like, I go, look, well, what's I've waited this long. I really believe that we should move forward. Like, I'm sorry. I messed up. Okay, what else I got to do? Like, I'm dying over here. How she, long had it been? About three months. three months. And she goes, you really think you have something to prove. You, you, you really think you have something to give me, don't you? I, it was the first time in my life, and this is why people out there, only through the cross, only through the grace of God can we say this and say it with hopefully purity. I looked at her and I said it like with my heart. I said, actually, I do have something. It was the first time I ever really stood up for the dignity of even myself and said, no, I do have something to offer. And she's like, she's Irish sarcastic. She goes, oh, why don't you put it on paper? I took it literal. So I go back to my spiritual director. I said, we got to do this essay. Ten things I have to offer my future wife. She says, don't call me, she says. You can call me in one month if you're still serious. I'm like, another month? Are you serious? All right. I wait a month. I postmarked the essay, ten things I have to offer my future wife, and send it to her. She didn't open it because she's still annoyed at me. Her mom goes, I think you're going to want to read this. And the rest is history. But my point of this, why? Because they don't know that they have a father. This world, 
does not know, Father Mark, that they have a father that loves them so much that he sent his only son to die for them. If they knew that, they'd stand up for him and say, I deserve to be committed to. I deserve to have the best, to have you walk through my bad days and good days. And as our marriage has been perfect, we've been married 15 years this July. And it hasn't been perfect, especially with me on the road. But let me tell you something. She's on the mission with me. And I'm telling you, if you meet her and have her talk, I can't believe. Like she told me something. We were out on a date night. I can't even say it publicly. But she told me something like at our date night that she told me that I couldn't believe that like she believes in me a child of God, like, that much. Like, and the love I have for her, like, you know, sacrifice. She, she'll she take our kids on a tour bus. You know, people think, oh, it's gl- glamorous, as you know, this life. It's not glamorous. On a tour bus, pack them all up. And why is that? Because she knows she's amazing and that God has a call for her life. And so once we can teach people that in this culture, if they get Jesus, it's over. It's lights out. Does she give talks, too? On the- She's waiting. It's not time yet for her. Our kids are young. Yeah. She can bring it, though. Yeah. She won't let you know because I'm telling you right now, she's going to kill me. But she, she used to. And then when we started having kids, it was time for her to, you know, put it on hold. But eventually she's going to help. Now, you have men and women missionaries. Yeah. And um, what do you think? Uh, you know, we see it all the time, like women speakers and women doing apostolates and it seems like they have a special gift for that kind of one-on-one and bringing yes. people. What have you noticed, like, what women can bring to that? I mean, men are a good, I think, kind of really to start the apostle, get out there, start a movement, you know, and a lead great. a group. What do the women bring to it? Well, our apostle went on for 10 years with no women, uh-huh. except for the finance manager, you know, right? So I understand exactly what you're talking about. When we brought the women in in 2012, started hiring them, as well as started to really have them engage, it changed everything. And what it did is it grounded us to not be full of crap, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, not to be full of it, one. It also changes the dynamics of women are exceptional. Not everyone, but most women, exceptional listeners exceptional that's why they're good one-on-one but even when they preach now i'm not discounting anyone in ministry i just want to speak something i really believe in i think a lot of times we second guess when a woman gets up and speaks because we look we look for how they look and i'm saying that carefully just everyone knows But what we get in our apostolate is when a woman shares the suffering they've been through, like this week, it was phenomenal what happened to one of our missionaries. One of our missionaries had an eating disorder, and she always shares about it. She shared it at a faculty retreat we were doing because we do all, you know, we speak at every kind of event because the gospel is for all people. And this teacher gets up in front of the teachers, picture this, in front of the faculty, and says, You might not know this, but my sister died of an eating disorder. When she shared that, the way the women consoled her, as it is when 
100 years ago, 200 years ago, the women used to console the women when they're having a baby. If you read, you know, history books about that, that in Africa it's going on right now, the way the woman and the villages come together and console the woman who's suffering. We don't, we have too many women who aren't using the, the gift of consoling. It's why Father Michael Gately, who's doing such a great job, it's attracting women so much because he's teaching them such a gift of consoling one another. And that's what we've received. When I come back getting beat up and rejected from preaching the gospel, they console us in such a beautiful way. And when a woman is struggling, they walk with them. And so it's changed the landscape. And you know what? Pope John Paul II gives the best example of that. When he did his consecration, he, and he says, I can remember the day I did it because everything changed. And I say that when women got involved. When Pope John Paul II did his consecration, because he did it later on in his life, he says, my ministry, my postulate, it all changed. It starts with Our Lady, and it starts with the women consoling the apostle. So I have to really give, honestly, most credit to why Hardest Nails has become a successful apostle. It's a lot because of the women that are involved. That's a great strength to tap into and yeah. so needed. Um, I, I had a question. This is sounds kind of lighthearted, but... I'm like Billy Graham. I get firing. I, uh, I know you love Rocky. Oh, I love Rocky. <laughs> and I love Rocky. I remember watching Rocky one. I think I was in fourth grade. It came on television. And I remember it's like one of those things, you know, the culture that inspires you. You know, yeah. you go back. Yeah. And, uh, and I think Rocky three was that in L.A. with Mr. T. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a good one, too. I love that one. The first one, though, was just extra Four's special. Four's good, though, Father. Four, have you seen it? Did you like the Russian? The Russian. I... To me, though, it's like the heart. I mean, to me, the best one was the first well, of one. Yeah, course. yeah. If you really love Rocky. <laughs> what is special about Rocky? Well, first of all, I want to tell you, you'll like this story. So you want to know how much God loves us? So funny. I can tell you hundreds of these stories, but this is just one good one. So I go to Hollywood to preach at St. Paul's out there in Westwood or whatever, that area. And so I'm preaching. It's over. I'm cleaning up or whatever. And one of the teachers comes up to me and goes, uh, that was really good, especially with our, our crowd, because there's a lot of Hollywood stars that go to this school. They're kids. Actually, your hero, Sylvester Stallone. Well, Sylvester, Rocky's my hero. <laughs> I can't say Sylvester Stallone. I love the guy. I hope God forgives him. He's been to confession. Change your life. But I love Rocky. Well, his, his daughter's here, and she loved the message. I was like, well, I have a Bible here. Uh, could you get Sylvester Stallone to sign it and send it to me? Within 24 hours, the teacher got the Bible and sent it to me. I have an autographed Bible. And for other people, that means nothing. But to me, yeah, not the one in here. No, I hand out, I underline Bible verses and give them out all the time. I already gave out this Bible. I read it this morning and gave it out today. But Rocky, why I love him so much is because he's the underdog. I was just running here at EWTN yesterday doing some push-ups. And... You know, people were kind of like going, what's Father Peter coming for? I'm like, Jesus, we're the underdog still. Let's go. <laughs> Everybody wants to be the underdog. And I think, I think in some ways our Catholic faith right now in America is the underdog. And I think if we have more of an underdog spirit than this, like, you know, 
Sons of Thunder spirit or like... The Apollo Creed spirit. Yeah, the Apollo <laughs> Yeah, we're the church. You should listen to us because we're the greatest. Yeah, we, yeah. you know, we have this, we have that. Who are you? You're nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think we have a spirit like, hey, we're just a Catholic faith. We're doing the best we can for Jesus Christ. Yeah. They'll see that spirit and they'll want to get behind us. Everybody wants to get behind an underdog. I think that's why so many people donate and help and encourage because they see an underdog spirit. I want to see this work. You know, Doug Keck said today, I, I can't believe it. You're still going. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, yeah. but it's like I... And I've always, you know, call it, maybe it's a little bit of narcissistic attitude of me, you know, but I've always felt as a young boy, uh, you know, uh, that I was the underdog. And Rocky, I think those movies planted the seeds for me to accept Jesus. Yeah. Last question. What is, the, what is the hope you have for young people? What are the signs of hope or what do you think is going to help them the most that you feel like is such a solid place for them to build their house on, so to speak? Well, I think what we're going to have to do as fathers, as mothers, as parents, as teachers, as educators, as theologians, as evangelists, whatever our job is in the church, our country especially, mm -hmm. is going to need us to teach our young people how to suffer well. Mm -hmm. And when we teach them to suffer well, they will live well. Mm -hmm. Our country is taught for for decades and now centuries that the message is to live well but that's not going to work these young people want to know how to suffer well they want to know that there's meaning when i go to the public schools father they respond to the catholic schools well it's beautiful but they respond even more at the public schools yeah they want to know what this message is about. I've had events where I invite them to the church, and there's over 1,100 that bring their families after the event. Why is that? Young people like real. They like raw. Adults want to run from the raw that, that they struggle through. And Mother Angelica, just to throw her in there, it's why her apostolate worked. Because she didn't run from the raw Rita Rizzo who went through that suffering. She kept it at the forefront because she was the one who cared for the Freddies, cared for, for the people in the background. And we as a church have to get off our pulpits and care for those in the background. And who's in the background? The youth. So I think our church is in a great time for young people if we can help them to learn to suffer well. Because they'll appreciate You know that. How many young people, thanks so much, Father Mark. Like, you listened to my confession. Oh, my, remember when you, how many young people say that? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure hundreds, even thousands have said that to you. It's the same thing for me. I'll go to events. I was just at an event in Ho-Dunk, North Carolina. Girl says, when I was 19, she's like 34 now. She's like, when I was 19, you were there to, the, I had no clue. But I just cried and listened to her. And to suffer well would be to... Bring it to Jesus and unite it with him. and Many things. There's so much, and the saints talk about it. Suffering well means that we use it for God's glory. We do what the cross has done. That when you look at a cross, a crucifix, especially as a Catholic, do you go, ah, stinks for you, Jesus? You know what I mean? Do you go, ah, must have been a depressed day, buddy. Oh, don't talk about it ever again. Throw that cross underneath your sweater and forget about it forever. <laughs> what do you say when you look at a crucifix? You say what? Thank you. 
We need to start thanking people. You know how many women, especially the women I believe in this great nation, have suffered well for their children, have stayed committed to them, have stayed. You know how many fathers have suffered well by their kids, as I see it, committed suicide, and they've held their kid out there saying, what happened was wrong, but my kid didn't die for no reason. What I mean by suffering well is we do how Jesus did it. Let the whole world know what we boast of. And it's not our accolades of all the money we had and how many staff members I have and the postulate and how many millions of souls have been impacted. Mm. What I want to share with you is my rejection. Mm. I want to share you my lonely times. Mm. For that is what I'm most thankful. If someone can see that you're most thankful, mm. most thankful for your cross, mm. they'll have hope. And I think in closing in that is this. What is our biggest epidemic? It's that... People are lonely because they don't see the beauty in them personally. Why? Because if we can love our rejection, we can love our cross, we can love our greatest challenge, then we will love ourselves. Then we will love it. That's what I went through in my posture. The great, I always tell you that, Father, when we hang out, and people laugh, oh, right? But I was like, the greatest gift I ever got was rejection. <laughs> and it's the thing I love most because it's the thing that makes me not second-guess people. It's the thing that makes me love people no matter what. Carl, thanks so much for talking oh, with us. I love you, Father Thank Mark. You. I love you. Keep up the good work.